Chapter number 31 of Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Arthur Piantidosi. Chapter 31 involves a critical position. Who's that? inquired Brittles, opening the door a little way, with the chain up and peeping out, shading the candle with his hand. Open the door, replied a man outside. It's the officers from Bow Street, as was sent to today. Much comforted by this assurance, Brittles opened the door to its full width and confronted a portly man in a greatcoat, who walked in without saying anything more and wiped his shoes on the mat as coolly as if he lived there. You'll send somebody out to relieve my mate, will you, young man? said the officer. He's in the gig, minding the prad. Have you got a coach here that you could put it up in for five or ten minutes? Little's replied in the affirmative, and pointing out the building, the portly man stepped back to the garden gate and helped his companion to put up the gig. Well, Brittles lighted them in the state of great admiration. This done, they returned to the house, and being shown into the parlour, took off the great coats and hats, and showed like they were. The man who knocked at the door was a stout personage of middle height, aged about fifty, with the shiny black hair, cropped pretty close, half-whiskers, a round face and sharp eyes. The other was a red-headed, bony man, in top-boots, with a rather ill-favoured countenance and a turned-up, sinister-looking nose. "'Tell your governor that Blathers and Duff is here, will you?' said the stouter man, smoothing down his hair and laying a pair of handcuffs on the table. "'Oh, good evening, master. Can I have a word or two with you in private, if you please?' This was addressed to Mr. Losborne, who now made his appearance. That gentleman, motioning Brittles to retire, brought in the two ladies and shut the door. "'This is the lady of the house.' Mr. Lawsburne, motioning towards Mrs. Bailey. Mr. Blathers made a bow. Being desired to sit down, he put his hand upon the floor, and taking a chair, motioned to Duff to do the same. The later gentleman, who did not appear quite so much accustomed to good society, or quite so much at his ease in it, one of the two, seated himself after undergoing several muscular affections of the limbs and the head of his stick into his mouth with some embarrassment. Now, with regard to this here robbery, master, said Blathers, what are the circumstances? Mr. Lawsburn, who appeared desirous of gaining time, recounted them at great length, in which much circumlocution. Messrs. Blathers and Duff looked very knowing meanwhile, occasionally exchanged a nod. I can't say for certain till I see the work, of course said Blathers, but my opinion at once is, I don't mind permitting myself to that extent, that this wasn't done by a yokel, eh, Duff? Certainly not, replied Duff, and translating the word yokel for the benefit of ladies, I apprehend your meaning to be that this attempt was not made by a countryman, said Mr. Lawsburne, with a smile. That's it, master, replied Blathers. That is it all about the robbery, is it? "'Oh,' replied the doctor. "'Now what is this about this here boy that the servants are talking on?' "'Nothing at all,' replied the doctor. 
one of the frightened servants chose to take it into his head that he had something to do with this attempt to break into the house. But it's nonsense. Sheer absurdity. Very easy disposed of, if it is, remarked Duff. What he says is quite correct, observed Blathers, nodding his head in a confirmatory way, and playing carelessly with the handcuffs as if they were a pair of castanets. Who is the boy? What account does he give himself? Where did he come from? He didn't drop out of the clouds, did he, Master? Of course not, replied the doctor with a nervous glance at the two ladies. I know his whole history. We can talk about that presently. You would like first to see the place where the thieves made their attempt, I suppose. Certainly, rejoined Mr. Blathers. We'd best inspect the premises first and examine the servants afterwards. That's the usual way of doing business. Lights were then procured, and Messrs. Blathers and Duff, attended by the native constable, Brittles, Giles, and everybody else in short, went into the little room at the end of the passage and looked out at the window and afterwards went round by way of the lawn, and looked in at the window, and after that had a candle handed out to inspect the shutter with, and after that a lantern to trace the footsteps with, and after that a pitchfork to poke the bushes with. This done, amidst the breathless interest of all beholders, they came in again, and Mr. Giles and McBrittles were put through a melodramatic representation of their share in the previous night's adventures, which they performed some six times over, contradicting each other in not more than one port in that respect the first time, and in not more than a dozen in the last. This consummation being arrived at, Blathers and Duff cleared the room and held a long council together, compared with which, for secrecy and solemnity, a consultation of great doctors on the naughtiest point of medicine would be mere child's play. Meanwhile, the doctor walked up and down the next room in a very uneasy state. Mrs. Maylie and Rose looked on, with anxious faces. Upon my word, he said, making a halt after a great number of very rapid turns. I hardly know what to do. Surely, said Rose, the poor child's story, faithfully repeated to those men, will be sufficient to exonerate him. I doubt it, my dear young lady, said the doctor, shaking his head. I don't think it would exonerate him, either with them or with legal functionaries of a higher grade. But what is he, after all, they would say? A runaway judged by mere worldly considerations and probabilities. His story is a very doubtful one. You believe it, surely, interrupted Rose. I believe it, strange as it is, and perhaps I may be an old fool for doing so, rejoined the doctor. But I don't think it is exactly the tale for a practical police officer, nonetheless. Why not? demanded Rose. Because, my pretty cross-examiner, replied the doctor. It was viewed with their eyes. There are many ugly points about it. We can only prove the points that look ill, and none of those that look well. Confound the fellows, they will have the why and the wherefore, and he'll take nothing for granted. On my own showing, you see, he has been the companion of thieves for some time past. He has been carried off to a police officer on the charge of picking a gentleman's pocket. He has been taken away, forcibly, from that gentleman's house. 
to a place which he cannot describe or point out, and of a situation of which he has not the remotest idea. He is brought down to Chertsey by men who seem to have taken a violent fancy to him, whether he will or no, and is put through a window to rob a house, and then just at the very moment when he is going to alarm the inmates and so do the very thing that would set him all to rights, there rushes into the way a blundering dog of a fire-bred butler and shoots him, as if on purpose to prevent his doing any good for himself. Do you see all this? I see it, of course, replied Rose, smiling at the doctor's impetuosity. But still I don't know, uh, see anything in it to incriminate the poor child. No, replied the doctor. Of course not. Bless the great eyes of your sex. They never see whether for good or bad, more than one side of any question, and that is always the one which presents itself to them. Having given vent to this result of expert experience, the doctor put his hands into his pockets and walked up and down the room with even greater rapidity than before. The more I think of it, said the doctor, the more I see that it will occasion endless trouble and difficulty if we put these men in position of the boy's real story. I am certain it will not be believed, and even if they can do nothing to him in the end, still the dragging it forward, and giving publicity to all the doubts that will be cast upon it, must interfere materially with your benevolent plan of rescuing him from misery. Oh, what is to be done? cried Rose. Dear, dear, why did they ever send for these people? Why, indeed, exclaimed Miss Bailey, I would not have had them here for the world. All I know is, said Mr. Lawsburn, at last sitting down with a kind of desperate calmness, that we must try and carry it off with a bold face. The object is a good one, and that must be also an excuse. A boy has strong symptoms of fever upon him, and is in no condition to be talked to any more. That's one comfort. We must make the best of it, and if bad be the best, it is no fault of ours. Come in. Well, master, said Blathers, entering the room, followed by his colleague, and making the door fast before he said any more. This warned a put-up thing. And what the devil's a put-up thing? demanded the doctor impatiently. We call it a put-up robbery, ladies said Blathers, turning to them, as if he pitied their ignorance, but had a contempt for the doctors. When the servant sees in it, who would have suspected them in any case, said Mrs. Bailey. Very likely not, ma'am, replied Blathers, but they might have been in it, for all that. More likely on that very account, said Duff. We find it was a town hand, said Blathers. Continuing his report, but the style of work is first-rate. Very pretty indeed it is, remarked Duff, in an undertone. There was two of them in it, continued Blathers, and they had a ball with him. That's claim from the size of the window. That's all to be said at present. We'll see this lad you've got upstairs at once, if you please. Perhaps they will take something to drink first, Mrs. Maitley the doctor, his face brightening as if some new thought had occurred to him. Oh, to be sure, exclaimed Rose eagerly. You shall have it immediately, if you will. Well, thank you, miss, said Blathers, drawing his coat sleeve across his pocket. 
It's dry work, this sort of duty. Any morning that's handy, miss, don't put yourself out of the way on our accounts. What shall it be? asked the doctor, following the young lady to the sideboard. A little drop of spirits, master, if it's all the same. Right, lathers. It's a cold ride from London, ma'am. And I always find that spirits come home warmer to the feelings. His interesting communication was addressed to Miss Miss Maylie, who received it very graciously. While it was being conveyed to her, the doctor slipped out of the room. Ah, said Mr. Blathers, not holding his wine glass by the stem, grasping the bottom between the arm and forefinger of his left hand, and placing it in front of his chest. I have seen a good many pieces of business like this in my time, my ladies. Crack down in the uh, lane and Edmonton, Blathers, said Mr. Duff, assisting his colleague's memory. That was something in this way, wasn't it? Oh, and Mr. Blathers, that was done by Coney Chickweed, that was. You always gave that to him, oh, yeah, Duff. It was a family pet, I tell you. Conky hadn't any more to do with it than I had. Get out! retorted Blathers. I know better. Do you mind that time when Conky was robbed of his money, though? What a star that was! Better than your book I ever see! What was that? inquired Rose, anxious to encourage any symptoms of good humour in the welcome visitors. It was a robbery, miss, that hardly anybody would have been down upon. And brothers, this here Conky Chinkweed. Conky means nosy, ma'am, interposed Duff. Of course, the lady knows that, don't she? Uh, uh, blathers to blathers. Always interrupting you are, partner. Is here Conky Chinkweed, miss. He kept a public house over Battle Bridge that way. And he had a cellar where a good many young lords went to see cockfighting and butter drawing and that. And a very intellectual manner the sports was conducted in, for I've seen him often. He was one of the family at that time, and one night he was robbed of three hundred and twenty-seven guineas in a canvas bug that was stolen out of his bedroom on the dead of the night by a tall fellow with a back patch over his eye, who had concealed himself under the bed, and after committing a robbery, jumped slap out of the window, which was only a story high. He was very, very quick about it, but Conky was quick too, for he fired a blunderbuss after him, and rouse the neighbourhood. He then stepped about hue and cry directly, and when they came to look about him, found that Conky hit the robber, for there were traces of blood, all the way to some palings a good distance off, and there they lost him. However, he made made off with the blunt, and consequently the name of Mr. Chickweed appeared in the Gazette among the other bankrupts, and all manner of benefits and subscriptions, and I don't know what all was got up for the poor man, who was in a very low state of mind about his loss, and went up and down the street for three or four days, a pulling his hair off in such a desperate manner that many people was afraid he might be going to make away with himself. One day he came up to the office, all in a hurry, and had a private interview with a magistrate, who, after a good deal of talk, rings the bell and orders Jem Spires in. Jem was an active officer, and tells him to go and assist Mr. Chickweed in apprehending the man who's robbed his house. I see him spoils, said Chickweed. Part my house yesterday morning. Why didn't you up and call him? said Byers. I was so struck all a heap they might fracture my skull with a toothpick, said the poor man. 
But we're sure that of him, but between ten and eleven o'clock at night he passed again. I has no owner heard this, and he put some clean linen and a comb in his pocket, in case he should have to stop a day or two, and away he goes and sets himself down on a public house window behind a little red curtain with his hat on, all ready to boat at a moment's notice. He was smoking his pipe here late at night, when all of a sudden Chickwee rolls out, Here he is, stop beef, murder! James Bryan's dashes out, and there he sees Chickweed a tearing down his street full cry. Away goes Spires, on goes Chickweed, round turns the people. Everybody rolls out, thieves! And Chickweed himself keeps on shouting all the time like mad. Tired loose society him a minute as he turns a corner, shoots round, sees a little crowd, dives in. Which is the man? Tommy, says Chickweed. I lost him again! It was a remarkable occurrence, but it wasn't seen nowhere, so they went back to the public house. Next morning, Spires took his old place and looked out for behind the curtain for a tall man with a black patch over his eye till his own eyes ached again. At last, he couldn't help shutting them to ease him a minute, and the very moment he did, he heard Chickweed roaring out, Here he is! Or he starts one more with Chickweed after a down the street ahead of him, and after twice as long a run as a yesterday's one, the man's lost again. This was done once or twice more to while after the neighbors gave out that Mr. Chickweed had been robbed by the devil, who was playing tricks with him afterwards, and the other half that more Mr. Chickweed had gone mad with grief. What did Jem Spires say? inquired the doctor, who had returned to the room shortly after the commencement of the story. James Spars, resumed the officer, for a long time said not at all one listened to everybody said seeming to, which showed we understood his business. But one morning he walked into the bar and taking out his spot book says Chickwe, I've found out who done this here robbery. Have you? says Chickwe. Oh my dear Spires only met me have vengeance and I shall die contented. Hey my dear Spires, where is the villain? Come says Spires, offering him a pinch of snuff. Number that gammon! You did it yourself! So he had, and a good bit of money he had made it by it too. And nobody would ever find out if he hadn't been so precious anxious to keep up appearances, said Mr. Spires, putting down his wine glass and clinking the handcuffs together. Very curious indeed, observed the doctor. Now, if you please, we'll walk upstairs. If you please, sir, returned Mr. Blathers, closely following Mr. Losburn, the two officers ascended to Oliver's bedroom, Mr. Giles preceding the party with a lighted candle. Oliver had been dozing, but looked worse, and was more feverish than he had appeared yet. Being assisted by the doctor, he managed to sit up in bed for a minute or two, though, and looking at the stranger without at all understanding, was going forward, in fact, without seeming to recollect where he was, or what had been passing. This, said Mr. Norsburn, speaking softly with great vehemence, notwithstanding, this is the lad, who, being accidentally wounded by a spring gun in some boyish enterprise in Mr. What-do-you-call-him's grounds at the back here, Comes to the house for assistance this morning, and immediately laid hold of and maltreated by that ingenious gentleman with a candle in his hand, who has placed his life in its miserable danger, as I can professionally certify. Mrs. Blathers and Duff looked at Mr. Giles, 
as he was thus recommended to their notice the bewildered butler gazed from them towards oliver and from oliver towards mr losburn with the most ludicrous gesture of fear and perplexity you don't mean to deny that atomose said the doctor laying oliver gently down again it was done for the for the best sir answered giles i'm sure i thought it was a boy or i wouldn't have meddled with him i am not of an unhuman disposition sir thought it was what boy inquired the senior officer a housebreaker's boy sir uh, giles they they certainly had a boy well and you think so now inquired blathers think what now replied giles looking vacantly at his questioner think he's the same boy stupid head rejoined blathers impatiently i don't know i really don't know said giles with a rueful countenance i couldn't swear to him what do you think asked mr blathers i don't know what to think replied poor giles i don't think it is the boy indeed i'm all certain it isn't you know it can't be all this man be a drinking sir inquired blathers turning to the doctor what a precious mull-headed chap you are said duff addressing mr giles with supreme contempt mr losburn had been feeling the patient's pulse during this short dialogue but he now rose from the chair by the bedside and remarked that if the officers had any doubts upon the subject they would perhaps like to step into the next room and have brittles before them acting upon this suggestion they adjourned to a neighbouring apartment where mr brittles being called in involved himself his respected superior in such a wonderful maze of fresh contradictions and impossibilities as tended to throw no particular light on anything the fact of his own strong mystification except indeed his declarations that he shouldn't know the real boy if he were put before him that instance that he had only taken oliver to be he because mr giles had said he was and mr giles had five minutes previously admitted in the kitchen that he began to be very much afraid they had been little too hasty among other ingenious surmises the question was then raised whether mr giles had really hit anybody and upon examination of the fellow pistol to which he had fired it turned out to have no more destructive loading than gunpowder and brown paper a discovery which made a considerable impression on everybody but the doctor who had drawn the ball out about ten minutes before upon no one however did it make a greater impression than on mr giles himself who after labouring for some hours under the fear of having mortally wounded a fellow-creature eagerly caught at this new idea and favoured it to the utmost finally the officers without troubling themselves very much about oliver left the chertsey constable in the house and took up their rest for that night in the town promising to return the next morning with the next morning there came a rumour that two men and a boy were in the cage at kingston who had been apprehended overnight under suspicious circumstances and to kingston messrs blathers and duff journeyed accordingly the suspicious circumstances however resolving themselves on investigation into the one fact that they had been discovered sleeping under a haystack which although a great crime is only punishable by imprisonment and in the merciful eye of the english law in his comprehensive love of all the king's subjects held to be no satisfactory proof in the absence of all the other evidence that the sleeper or sleepers had committed burglary accompanied with violence 
and had therefore rendered themselves liable to the punishment of death, as as Blathers and Duff came back again, as wise as they went. In short, after some more examination and a great deal more condensation, a neighbouring magistrate was inducted to take the joint bail of Mr. Smailey and Mr. Lawsburn for Oliver's appearance. If he should ever be called upon, and Blathers and Duff, being rewarded with a couple of guineas, returned to town with dilated opinions on the subject of their expedition, laid a gentleman on the mature consideration of all the circumstances, inclined to the belief that the burglars attempted originated with the family pet, and the former being equally disposed to concede the full merit of it to the great Mr. Cockney Chinkweed. Meanwhile, Oliver gradually threw and prospered on the united care of Mrs. Maylie Rose and the kind-hearted Mr. Lawsburn. It fervent prayers gushing from hearts of a charge with gratitude be heard in heaven. And if they be not what prayers are, the blessings which the orphan child called down upon them sunk into their souls, diffusing peace and happiness. The end of chapter 31